What's up, misfits? Welcome back to the James Kennedy podcast. I hope you're all feeling good. I've had this cold for the past two weeks that I just cannot shift, man. I went on holiday to Greece week before last, I think, and um, that was awesome. You know, went to Santorini next, saw sunning it up, baby, swimming in the sea at like 10 o'clock at night in the pitch black. Absolute paradise on earth, that place is. And as soon as I've come back, I've just been smashed in the face with this relentless, unshiftable cold that just will not go. I never really get ill that much. I'm pretty like healthy because I live such a boring life. But um, yeah, this 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 thing just will not go, man. It's like, trash in my voice. So if I sound like I've been like hitting the bong too much, it's not that. <laughs> like I said, I live a very boring life. So, uh, you know, my bong smoking days are literally decades behind me. It's not that. It's just that I've got this relentless cold that just will not go. Maybe... It's divine punishment for all the chops in I've been doing lately about the royal family. Chops in, I should remind you for all those listeners who aren't from Wales, basically just means mouthing off. Now, in my defense, I would never dream of chops in or mouthing off about the royal family at such a sensitive time as they've lost recently the head of their family, Queen Elizabeth II, who very recently passed away, as I'm sure everybody on planet Earth is now aware. And with myself being a lifelong anti-royalist, you know, obviously the temptation was always there to comment on such a um, ubiquitous and unrelenting news event as that. Because, you know, I I comment on everything. (laughs) That's what I do. But I exercised some humane restraint on this one, which was a first for me, because at the end of the day, despite my political feelings about, you know, the monarchy and the royal family and the institution of all that stuff, you know, an actual person had passed away here, a person who had a family and was loved by many people, you know, a grandmother to, to some and a mother to others, you know, a real person. And you have to put your politics and your opinions aside to be sensitive to the people who are, who are grieving, you know? You know, I'm not a fucking monster. And also, this is a person who was loved by millions of people the world over, you know, who's, who's been in everybody's life for, for as long as we can remember, you know, an iconic figure. A figure who millions of people look up to and inspired by and revere. And I, I get that. I understand it. But the onslaught of media attention that just went on and on and on and on and on about it, it, it made it very tempting to, <laughs> to wade in <laughs> and, and, and add your, uh, your comment to it. And I resisted. So instead, what I just said was on social media, I just simply said, no comment. That was it. I just posted those two words. I just said, no comment. What I meant by that was, it was clear that I was aware of, you know, what was going on. How could you not be? It was everywhere. And for those people that follow me on social media, they know that I tend to mouth off about, you know, every sort of news event that happens. So it would have been kind of strange if I didn't say anything. And, and, and I think if I didn't say anything at all, that would have been taken as disrespectful, I suppose, you know, that I just didn't care. And I just carried on promoting my podcast or whatever, you know. But at the same time, I wasn't going to join the grief party because it's not, this isn't the person that I knew personally. You know, the, the actual real grief is exclusive to the family and the people that knew her, and that should be respected. The other stuff, you know, the, the public outpouring of, of mourning, I think you'd have to be a royalist, really, to, to get deeply involved in that. And I'm not. You know, I've been an outspoken anti-royalist you know, for my entire life. So I'm not going to be gushing with reverence and grief over, you know, an institution that I don't believe in and that I think is undemocratic and we shouldn't have it in this day and age. But I, at the time, wouldn't have been right to have said that at a time of national mourning about a person who has an actual family grieving. So I opted for saying no comment because by 
doing that, I was hoping to make it apparent, you know, to my followers that, you know, obviously I am aware of what's happening, but no, I'm not going to slag off the monarchy this time. But no, I'm also not going to go gushing with reverence for a person I've never met in an institution I don't believe in. So I just said no comment and left it at that. And man, if I did, Jesus Christ. I haven't had an online ass kicking like that since the time I said I didn't think Eric Clapton was all that. And it wasn't the scale of it, really. It was just the um, intensity of it, the aggression and the nastiness of it. Not that that affects me because I don't care. (laughs) If I did, I wouldn't say the things I say. I literally don't care. But it was just interesting to see how those two simple little words that weren't saying anything at all, really, other than what each side projected into it, just seemed to really kick the fucking wasp's nest. I mean, people went for it, man. And it's interesting that these days, it's almost like the people who were the biggest bullies and the most aggressive, uh, uh, trying to shut everybody down, are almost the people who seem to claim some kind of monopoly on compassion and righteousness. It's something that we see so much these days on the internet, is that if you even imply the slightest offense to somebody's sensibilities, you know, they will just come at you with such venom and, and nastiness and the, the, the bullying group mentality, the herd mentality where they all just dive in on you is, is something to see, man. Fortunately, I'm of an age where I don't care. None of these comments or these, you know, attempts at hurting my feelings make the slightest dent on me at all. I literally, literally couldn't care less. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt me or affect me in the slightest. But I just think it's interesting to see that shift. It's almost like the people who see themselves as the most progressive and liberal and enlightened and compassionate um, have almost become now the biggest bullies online, the most aggressive, bitchy and nasty group of people on the internet. And I think it's a dangerous force because, you know, people are getting cancelled and People kill themselves over this stuff. You know, it's crazy just because of like bitchy name calling. Personally, I feel that when you have to resort to those kinds of attacks, you've already lost the argument. You know, that that is not the action of the righteous. That's the action of the desperate. So it was interesting that this event kind of highlighted a lot of stuff. And it raises a lot of questions now as well about the status of the monarchy post Queen Elizabeth II. It raises questions about how we identify ourselves as a nation in 2022 moving forward. Uh, It raises questions about the nature of our democracy and what it means to be British. So I thought we'd try and unpack some of this stuff and do a whole episode on the monarchy. Now, it's going to be biased because it's my show and I'm anti-monarchy, but it's going to be done respectfully. This isn't, you know, a bitch fest or anything happening here. You know, we leave that to you guys on Twitter. But I'm hoping that within the intensity of the one-sided conversation we've had projected at us on this issue from all of the mainstream news across the board to provide a little bit of balance here, to give the other side of the conversation an airing. And hopefully some of you people who are royalists might find some things in the, in the following conversation that give you food for thought or that you find it interesting or questions that you, you agree need answering. So without further ado, we're going to introduce today's guest, Mr. Nick Wall. Now, Nick Wall is a member of the campaign group Republic, and he also chairs the group Labour for a Republic. He's a very knowledgeable and articulate spokesperson for the cause, and I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with him today. So without further ado, let's welcome onto the show, Mr. Nick Wall. How are you feeling, man? 
I'm very well, James. Look, thanks for inviting me on. It's uh, fantastic. If it all feels a bit rock and roll, I see you had Frank Turner on a couple of uh, weeks yes. ago. So, um, yeah, so it does feel rock and roll for me. Um, <laughs> you know, and I hope, I hope that, uh, you know, you're broadcasting all this dangerous democracy stuff that we're not going to see you in the tower. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed on that, shall we? Hey, the tower would be a dream, man. i got to worry about Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm hoping that today's chat with yourself is is not going to further poke that specific wasp's nest and if it does it will happen in a much more informed and informative manner that i'm clearly able to deliver by myself <laughs> okay so to kick off shall we start by establishing what the official narrative is? Let, let's start with the official line and take it from there so what is the official role of the monarchy in modern britain you know what is it that the believers believe that they do well, that's that, that's a really good question because actually quite a lot of it is shrouded in in secrecy. But um, before I get into that, can I just mention a couple of things, James, just by way of context? Because as you say, I am chair of a, of a group called uh, Labour for a Republic, and uh, we we campaign within the Labour Party for uh, you know for a continuation of the the journey towards a republic. And uh, it's really really important of you, and hopefully your listeners will agree and, and, and may want to engage uh, more after this podcast. But you know, as we speak, just by way of context, you know, there's the economy, the, the, the government's lost uh, control of the economy. We've got problems uh, in terms of employee relations. We've got problems in the health service. We've got a huge cost of living crisis. So to us, it's a really important um, subject, but you know, nothing is more important right now for the country, so far as we're concerned, as getting a Labour government. That's priority one. Um, so what does uh, a monarchy do? Well, it's got essentially a constitutional role, or at least two members of the of, of the uh, monarchy have, and so there's the sort of ceremonial stuff uh, that we all see on our TV uh, quite extensively. Um, then there are um, uh, sort of obligations in terms of the legislative process. Um, so you know, uh, acts of parliament and so on, legislation will get royal assent. Um, and that's, if you like, I guess, the, the formal role. They do other stuff that they may choose to do. Uh, but in terms of constitutionally, that's really about it. But it's the kind of that's the, the bit, I guess, that the public, they want the public to see, you know, behind the, the scenes, if you like. The, um, the, the reality is that politically, there's a great deal more, you know, going on. Um, so Labour for Republic essentially sees, you know, Republic becoming a Republic as, as the end game of a journey we're already on. And that journey is essentially making the, 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 the country more democratic. And, you know, over the years, um, you know, the, uh, with the extension of the franchise for everyone to vote and in recent years, things like, uh, devolution and, uh, reform of the House of Lords. These are all parts of the same journey towards a place where all the power, all the power rests with the people. Yeah. And the people um, exercise that power through um, their elected representatives. And, uh, of course, what the monarchy has is a huge amount of power, which is uh, unchecked and very often simply, um, you know, not known about. So... Whilst the monarchy has this formal role behind the scenes, let's say there's stuff going on. Hmm. So, for example, um, the um, the monarchy, well, probably best to do it like this. The monarchy really has 
three there's three issues we really have with the with the concept of monarchy. The first is that it has direct power without any accountability whatsoever. Yeah. So, for example, in the case of a hung parliament, the monarch would choose who the prime minister is going to be. Uh, it can dissolve parliament, um, and it's got this really uh, huge, significant power called uh, the queen's well, the king's consent now. King's consent. Shrouded in his secrecy, but essentially what it boils down to is that any legislation, anything at all, on any subject you like to mention, if it any way impacts upon the royal, on the monarchy itself, so it could be employment rights, it could be environmental protection, it could be all sorts of things. Uh, the king's consent is needed first and foremost before that um, that piece of legislation can even be debated. Now that applies wow. not just in Parliament in the UK, but in the devolved parliaments as well. Queen's consent also means that, um, or King's consent means that uh, the, the monarch can intervene. And in fact, there's a really good um, investigation by The Guardian and a guy called Adam Tucker in Liverpool University that uncovered that since the 1960s, uh, the the monarch and the heir to the throne had had intervened over a thousand times wow. on legislation to in some way tweak it, and in fact are exempt from a hundred I think it's one hundred and sixty pieces of legislation. Most recently in twenty twenty one, the monarchy was uh, exempt from legislation in Scotland on environmental protection. But it's also meant, for example, the royal household is um, and the monarchy is exempt from. Um, the Race Relations Act. Hmm. So the monarch negotiated an exemption from that, which might lead listeners to think, well, why, why would any organisation want to be exempt from uh, a piece of legislation that protects workers, people who work for the monarchy, um, from uh, discrimination on racial basis? Yeah. But it's worse uh, because they're also exempt from the Sex Discrimination Act. Jesus so, Christ. This is something that the monarchy has petitioned for and has successfully um, been granted. And as I say, those are probably the most stunning, frankly, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Stunning that, you know, any organization that's state funded should be exempt or be allowed to be exempt from that sort of legislation. So the monarchy has direct power without any accountability. They can do all these things, and frankly, no one's going to stop them, or nobody can stop them. The second thing is that the monarchy, which is supposedly there to protect our constitution, such as it is, uh, we're only one of, I think, three, three, two, or th- I think it's three democracies in the whole in the whole world that hasn't got a written constitution, and perhaps we can talk a bit more about that. But the monarchy can't protect the, pro- the constitution. So, for example, back in what was it, twenty nineteen, Boris Johnson was getting a, a real rough ride in Parliament over his disastrous Brexit um, shenanigans and yeah. bill and so on. And, and so he decided the best way to get out of this is to prorogue Parliament, which basically means, you know, suspending Parliament. So there would be no scrutiny. So literally no questions hmm. uh, can be asked. And he went to the monarch, the Queen, and said, yeah, this is all fine. And the Queen said, yeah, that's fine. So it then turned out that actually that was illegal. So that was a, uh, an illegal proroguing of Parliament. But it demonstrates that the monarchy, dependent as it is on par- on the government for its support, um, 
the, the quid pro quo, if you like, is that essentially the monarch does what the prime minister says. So there's yeah. this there's this problem of the constitution not being protected. The third issue uh, of 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 monarchy is that um, the, the existence of the monarch gives huge powers to the prime minister, which he or she can enact without referring to anybody, including Parliament. So the the, the Prime Minister using um the royal prerogative as it's called can can wage war, uh, sign treaties, sign trade deals, all sorts of stuff. All sorts of stuff, which is really, really significant and has a has a material impact on all our lives. All of that can be done in essentially in the name of the monarch, but it really it's just a rubber stamp and it's the Prime Minister who who decides so not all of the, not only is all this stuff this democracy stuff which we in principle we, we we believe strongly that it's just not right yeah but also of course it also means that the monarchy isn't equal uh, before the law as as we believe all everybody should be you know regardless of uh your birthright you know we should all be equal before the law but quite obviously um the monarchy and the monarch isn't and that cannot be right. So we have a very principled objection to monarchy. We think it is contrary to certainly Labour's values of, of democracy and equality. Uh, but it's, I think, we think, contrary to most people's values. Yeah. And what we're trying to do in Labour for Republic and indeed Republic, uh, the, the, the national organisation that talks to the whole country, not just the Labour Party, the whole country about this issue, is to get that conversation going because it's funny, James, but there's yet been a situation where I've had a conversation with uh, even diehard monarchists and they haven't raised their eyebrows at least to some of this stuff. Yeah. So what the monarchy and all those with a vested interest in keeping the monarchy in place want to do is to close down the conversation. Yeah. That's key. So that's why it's so good to be on, on, on this particular, uh, you know, podcast um, because you know, once people start thinking about it, uh, they start engaging in it, which is great. Yeah, and closing down the conversation does seem to be the weapon of choice, you know, from the monarchy and, you know, the the media and the supporters. I mean, we have seen, you know, massive backlashes against any variance in the official narrative. We, you know, we, people have been arrested for holding up signs. And like I said in my preamble, just the, the sheer scale of the intense aggression online that happens with anybody who has a, an opposing view, no matter how articulately or diplomatically delivered. It's unlike anything we've seen in, in modern times, I think. You know, and I know that it's an emotionally charged time right now, but I think that that makes it all the more important for us to have this conversation and to not let those forces bully us into silence and submission and dominate the accepted yeah. narrative. Yeah. But keeping it with the official narrative, just for a second, the queen or the king uh, is essentially the head of state. Uh, we do need a head of state. So what other models are there for having a head of state that we can look to around the world, which would be, in your opinion, a more preferable system to the unelected monarchical head of state system that we currently have in the UK? Well, any any um, model which is elected is is preferable to unelected. Okay. So, I mean that's that's quite clear because what you see within the uh, I mean let, let's talk about I mean the Queen 
I'll say a couple of things about the Queen. First and foremost, just commenting on your points about, uh, you know, some of the tensions on social media and so on during the morn- the official mourning period and so on. Uh, you know, Republicans didn't need to have a meeting to say we're going to we're going to show respect. You know, we, right. we respect the fact that here's somebody that's given, uh, you know, decades and decades of service. And we don't agree with what that service entails and, the, and you know and it's 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 reason for being we don't we don't agree with it but we certainly respect it but i think the tension came from and i think it's really important for people to understand this the two things were happening simultaneously the first thing was there was a death of somebody who a lot of people think a great deal of and there was a mourning period and that's absolutely right but there was also a political process going on at the same time which was a huge transfer of power Hmm. from uh you know from one monarch to another uh there was political appointment so a prince of wales was appointed councillors were appointed and so on and so forth all this politics was going on during the period of mourning yeah and of course as republicans we respect the period of mourning but we have to and we want to speak up against you know, a political transfer of power, which is completely undemocratic. Now, that's why you saw, James, you know, people being arrested simply yes. holding up um, signs saying, not my king. Now, they they weren't at, you know, funeral procession. They were at, uh, you know, proclamations, you know, yeah. political events where the king is proclaimed is a political event. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, monarchy is tradition. Monarchy is tradition. It's fantastic. It's tradition. Well, so is in this country, thank goodness so it's protest yes. every bit is important Great you point. know so um so yeah i just wanted to sort of you know comment on that in terms of the heads of state to get back to that i mean you know a lot of a lot of people when they think of republicanism certainly when i you know over, over the last few decades people have thought of you know connotations with the ira and so on uh but nowadays when you talk about republic people tend to know what you're talking about which is you know an elected head of state Hmm. so that's one really good thing that's happened actually over the last decade probably now there's lots of uh, models and i i heard um james uh, is it james o'brien on lbc yeah i mean he's normally really good i mean i i I think he's fantastic but you know even even he got in the muddle on this because you know saying well we don't you know we don't want to, you know, the usual whole chestnut. We don't want a President Blair. We don't want a President Trump and right. so on. So USA is a good example of where you've got a president that's got executive powers. Um, France is another example where you've got a, a president with executive, executive powers. That's if you like broadly. There are different variations, but executive powers of a president. President is elected, but they're hugely powerful. So that's one model. The model that we prefer is something that's used, uh, I guess, in, say, Germany or or more uh, closely in Ireland. So what we would advocate is that we essentially keep the political system as it is with a House of Commons and devolved um, parliaments. We would absolutely you know, want a, an elected second chamber. But in terms of the head of state, the head of state would be there to do two things. Number one, to do the ceremonial stuff. And we're we're perfectly happy for all the pomp and ceremony and the gold coaches and so on to stay. <laughs> we just think that the person in the gold coach should be there on merit. And uh, they don't necessarily need to be privileged and they don't necessarily need to be white and they don't need necessarily need to be male, as our head of state will be for the next hundred years. You know, um, let's have a head of state that uh, reflects the country. Right. So they do all the ceremonial stuff. 
But the second thing they would do, and this is the, the critical thing, is that they would protect our constitution, our written constitution. So we would assume, let's say we have a written constitution, it would say many things, but you know, one of the things it might say is, you know, you obey your international law. So at the moment, to give you a, a, an example of how that would work, at the moment, this government, this Tory government, is, is brazenly saying it's going to break international law. It's yeah. going to just break it because it doesn't suit us or it doesn't suit them. Now, if the constitution said, you know, we if we sign a treaty, we stick to it, we don't break international law, then at that point, the president would step in and the president would say, no, that does not meet our constitution. That is uh, in conflict or breaches our constitution. And, and that might be the end of it, or the, the, the president might, he or she might, um, refer it to the Supreme Court to make a judgment. So the president would need a mandate, which is why they need to be elected. But they don't necessarily need to be uh, a politician. And we've got literally thousands of people in this country, you know, who could do the job, you right. know. And just to illustrate that, because an emerging an emerging argument, and this is a legacy of the Boris Johnson government, I think, is that you know, oh well, it's not so bad having a monarch because uh, because you know politicians are so uh, uh, are so terrible. Well, what an awful argument that is, <laughs> you know. And of course, with Charles, um, it seems to have been forgotten now. But you know, just in the last years, in the last twelve months, we've had yeah, you know, we've had Charles fly into environmental co- uh, environmental conferences to. Uh, Flying by helicopter to preach to people to stop flying, you know. We we've had uh, Charles taking cash for honours, so literally taking cash in order to, to grant honours to people, and even worse, literally. I mean, you know, this is this is literally what happened. Uh, taking suitcases and carrier bags of cash from overseas dodgy businessmen. Now, right. this is a guy who's had a sixty-year um, apprenticeship. I think we can do much better, don't you? Well, I was going to ask what your thoughts were on uh, King Charles. I know that you've got some, so uh, please share them with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, I think two things. I mean, the first thing is that the Queen, to her, her credit, played a very good hand when it came to the politics. I mean, I can only remember her kind of intervening politically in any way, uh, really in a major way once, and that was making some comments during the Scottish independence referendum, you know, which were yeah potentially political but other than that she was prepared for playing a good hand charles is different you know charles is different now as, as he has intervened and he has written he has well he's basically been a political lobbyist using mm. taxpayers money through the duchy of cornwall using taxpayers money to to run his lobbying uh, firm if you like and he's lobbied on all sorts of things you know for, on reintroducing fox hunting which 80% of the British population um, disagree with, reintroducing grammar schools, which certainly the Labour Party uh, is against, we're against selective education, and so is most of the country. Uh, homeopathy, you know, that kind of thing. All right. You know, he, he has intervened a great deal. So the question is, the first question for Charles is, you know, can, can you change your spots? And the answer is, we don't know, because when Charles meets the prime minister every week they don't talk about the weather i assume and we are told that the 
the role of the monarch is to either, in quotes, encourage or to warn. Now, just think about that for a moment. What does that mean, encourage or to warn? Well, if a government goes along, a Labour government goes along and says, well, we're going to get rid of the remaining grammar schools because we don't believe in the unfairness of selective education. Is he going to encourage that or is he going to warn against it? Well, of course, he's going to warn against it. Yeah. He's going to warn against it because it doesn't concur with his political view. Now, we won't know that because, of course, none of this stuff is um, published. The monarchy is exempt. Another exemption, again, across, uh, you know, uh, in, in law, they are exempt from the Freedom of Information Act. So when the monarch decided to pay for Prince Andrew's defence, for example, uh, which practically everybody in the country thought was an absolute, you know, disgraceful situation. Yeah. Uh, all, all the, all, you know, the, the whole event was, was a disgraceful event. You know, that was, that was paid for by the, from, from the monarch's funds. Now we don't know where that exactly came from, probably from the Duchy of Lancaster. If it did, then, um, it is, um, it is taxpayers' money. The point is here is that it all shrouded in secrecy. Yeah. So, to answer your question, the first thing is Charles will be a political king. And we hope that that does two things. That one, that prime ministers and ministers have the backbone to stand up to him because, you know, he may have been told all his life that he is a font of all wisdom. He is not. Um, and two, we believe that that will, that will encourage more people to say, actually, this isn't working. Let's move towards an elected. Yeah. Um, head of state. The, the second thing that we've been promised with Charles is modernization. Well, you know, it's all relative, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you have got a monarchy that basically runs the same as it did more or less 200 years ago, modernization is a very relative, com- is a very relative thing. Yeah. And what worries us in Labour for Republic is that, and in Republic, um, is that Politicians don't appear to be engaging in that invitation. So I don't know what Charles means by modernization, but I would it be helpful if I suggested a few things that uh, he might want to look at. He might want to look at, for example, signing up to the Freedom of Information Act. So if the if the monarchy is indeed uh, you know a, a positive force in our society, if they do good things and they have good things to say, well, let's make it. Um, subject to the Freedom of Asian Act, as is every other public body uh, in the land. Uh, they could start paying tax. Um, £750 million pounds inheritance uh, Charles has just received, he will pay a penny. Of course, the uh, monarch and the heir can pay tax, income tax voluntarily. It's up to them, which is, you know, talk to people who are, uh, you know, in low-paid work, paying tax, scraping, literally scraping to make ends meet. And then you have, you know, incredibly wealthy people funded by the state and not paying, not contributing in any way. It is frankly outrageous, as is so much of the stuff that surrounds uh, the monarchy. Um, On on finance, you know, he could invest in, in Britain. Uh, he was one of the names in the uh, a few years ago in the Panama Papers that was showing that he was investing in offshore companies, making millions and millions of pounds while the rest of us were uh, in austerity. 
so he could invest in, in, in Britain. He could opt in to the Race Relations Act. He could opt in to the Sex Discrimination Act. Um, politicians could insist that the oath that MPs and members of the Scottish Parliament and members of the Welsh Parliament take uh, could be changed. I mean, at the moment, the oath, James, is to the monarch and their heirs and their heirs and, you know, forever and a day. Frankly, it is stunning that we do this. And it's even more stunning, in my view, that the Labour Party does this because the Labour Party was born to give more power to working people. To initially and essentially to, to alleviate poverty and to create employment. But it is, it is astonishing that any politician wouldn't want us to, to pledge an oath, first and foremost, to the country, and secondly, to the people. You could argue, thirdly, their constituents. But they don't, and they don't have to. But they have to pledge an oath to the monarch and the monarch's heirs, which is quite unbelievable when you play it back to yourself. Uh, absolutely amazing. And, of course, there are MPs who cannot take their seat because they, they, on principle, cannot sell, cannot swear that oath. And of course, you see MPs, don't you, crossing, your, crossing their fingers. So the system, if nothing else, right, if the system, if nothing else, when a public is demanding that we have honesty from our politicians and, and they're truthful with us and, they, you know, and they want to we want to trust our politicians, the very thing the system makes them do, some of them, is to not be straight because they have to say something they don't actually believe yeah. in order to do the job they were elected for. Now, yeah. it's crazy. So that's a short kind of to-do list for Charles. Labour for a Republic was uh, right to all MPs on this, all Labour MPs and saying, look, you know, this is, this is an offer from the, the new monarch to modernise, but let's make sure it's the 21st century modernization and and it's not about just bringing the monarchy into the um, 19th century you know let's let's take this opportunity work with him and let's see the monarchy truly reflecting uh, the country we all live in oof man i'm glad i asked that question that was a beautiful riff <laughs> yeah well sorry about that Did it, was, uh, yeah, well, hey, don't go. apologize yeah. man that was, that I, was I, glorious I, stuff i totally enjoyed the rant man <laughs> okay now you you also mentioned some figures there and that's something else i wanted to come around to because it's very important i mean in normal circumstances the taxpayer is not expected to chip in to pay for the entire family of the head of state to all live lavishly in ivory towers so could we go through some of the figures as to exactly what it does cost the British taxpayer to keep the royal family? Yeah, I, I think I think you, yeah, it's, it's a very valid question. It's one of the questions that, you know, very, very often comes up, you know, which is, you know, uh, the, va the, the, the monarchy is very good value for money. You know, uh, it's a bit like the, the other the other chestnut always comes up is that, you know, the monarchy is good for tourism, hmm. which the answer is, well, if that's the case, then we, you know, we, we have Mickey Mouse as the head of state, don't we? I mean, that's the, that's the answer. <laughs> one. In actual fact, it, in actual fact, it's not. Um, in fact, Visit Britain, which is the government organisation that you know looks after tourism coming to the UK, uh, four or five years ago, said that the monarchy's um, uh, effect is neutral; there's no measurable effect. And, and, and what happened then was, and this is more recently, is that the um, the way in which 
these things are calculated in terms of the revenue that the, the, the monarchy can bring in. Um, they kind of changed the rules. So, for example, so they, they, they looked at the royal towns like Windsor, Bath, places like that. And, it's, and said, you know, if you visit there, you spend any money there. That's essentially been generated by, um, but generated by the royal family. So if you go to, uh, I don't know, Windsor Legoland, which twice as many people go to Windsor Legoland than, um, than, uh, Windsor Castle, but you may not know this, but your motivation to go to Windsor Legoland, uh, was in fact, uh, your, your respect and love for the monarchy. I mean, you may not know <laughs> that, but it's clearly, it's clearly what is, what is inferred but in terms of the 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 costs um so there's 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 a sovereign grant which comes from parliament and that's the that is the the number that the monarchy and the the government uses which is about 80 million last year um it's a remarkable grant it can never go it can never go down it can only go up okay that's the way it's written um you know so it's not about how much money the monarchy needs they get the money then they decide what they're going to do with it and it just keeps going up but the 82 million last year what's not in it well what's not in it is security costs so we're not talking about security costs for the monarch and the heir to the throne we're we're talking about security costs for the whole royal family Hmm. the in inverted commas working royals um i have to say more about that later if you like but anyway the working royals not only their home, but the many homes that they have. So the new Prince of Wales, I think he has, he's just gone into his third home now. Each of those will have full-time security, you know. So the estimate, the conservative estimate on there is £100 million on security. You've then got every time the um, a monarch, sorry, any time any member of the royal family visits uh, whatever they visit, you know, uh, come to see a leisure centre being built, uh, open a leisure centre or whatever it might be. Um, not that we're opening many leisure centres under this government, but anyway, you've got my point. They open something, they'll go and see something. Yeah. That visit, the cost of that visit is absorbed by the local authority. Now, we don't know what the total of that is, but might be worth people thinking, you know, if they have a royal visit and then, you know, maybe sometime in the future, their library is closed down. You might mm. want to think, well, what would have been a better value for money? But, yeah. you know, I'll leave that to people to to think about. So there's local authority. So that cost is not included in the costings. Then there's the surplus profits from what are called the duchies. So the Duchy of Lancaster goes to the monarch and the Duchy of Cornwall, the profits go to the heir to the throne. And what they are is a portfolio of um, property, land, investments huge and that generates about 20 million pound a year each in in profits but all of those assets are uh, owned by the people they are there to create an income for the for the for the monarch and the heir to the throne to spend to spend as they wish and as i say charles spends a lot of his or has spent a lot of his on uh political lobbying um so there's about forty million pounds there, and there's then then there's income. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the actual land, including shoreline, for example, in the in the UK, is owned by uh, the monarchy, and that feeds through into the sovereign grant. So it's quite interesting, really, and very topical because Labour has just announced, you know, some really fantastic policies on on a you know a great British energy company, and that yeah. being effectively a, a green. A green energy company. It's it's an absolutely 
what Lib- what Labour does, transformational stuff, you know, that is going to see us good for years, like, you know, like the health service, like comprehensive education, it's just yeah. going to see us good for years. But the fact is, you know, the land is owned by either the duchy or by the monarch or whatever it might be. And, and they're going to, so they are going to see some of the profits of that. Right. So Republic, we're pretty good on this side. So, so you can see more on republic.org. Uh, UK. So Republic have, have costed it around about 340 million a year. And uh, we'll see what we'll see what, you know, Charles offers, because I suspect one of the things you want to do is to cut back the number of in inverted commas work in royals. I don't know. We'll see. So about 340 uh, million a year. Um, and it is, I think, one of, again, it's it's a secrecy thing. You know, if we are paying this money for any institution not just the royal family you know if the state is paying for whatever it might be then that should be a matter of public record there doesn't need to be any secrecy you know let's just you know if they if they're good value for money then what's the problem absolute insanity i mean if we had an an elected head of state i'm imagining the costs for this would be significantly different well of course it would because you'd you'd have one person it would be reasonable to expect uh, that person to have security uh, and for their family to have security. And that would be it. You, you wouldn't have, uh, they wouldn't have a, an income from, they would be paid for the job, but they wouldn't have an income from a, a portfolio, which nets them 20 million pounds a year for good grief, for, you know, for uh, good grief. It would just wouldn't, just wouldn't happen. You know, you, you, you wouldn't have um, a situation where, uh, you know, the, the head of state had numerous residences which had to be protected and so on and so forth. So, of course, with a with a head of state, it's infinitely uh, more cost effective. I'm going to say cheaper, but cost effective, let's put it that way. But, you know, democracy does cost. So there would be there would be a cost there, but it would be much less. Yeah. And that's really important to an awful lot of people. It's really important to Republicans. Um whether it's as important overall as this whole principle of democracy and the whole principle of equality. And I should say, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, Labour and most people in this country, you know, we, we want to see organisations and leaders that reflect the country. And the fact is, for the rest of my life and for everybody who's listening to this right now, you are going to have a privileged white male head of state for the rest of your life yeah and potentially well into the next century now that in in you know 21st century britain i find that quite astounding and to be honest a little bit depressing well actually very depressing because any other i mean if i was to say to you james look here's here's an organization that's run for the state it's paid for by the state and the c and i just want to let you know that the ceo is going to be privileged white and male for the rest of uh the century what would you say to me you know you'd probably say well actually nick that sounds a bit like an institutionally racist organization <laughs> well wouldn't you i yes. mean you know this is the problem isn't it you know labor for republics um uh, slogan, if you like, is democracy, equality, no exceptions. And the no exceptions is there because so often, whether it's Charles taking his carrier bags of cash, whether it's the secrecy, whether it's the cash for honours, you know, all the things, yeah, we're, 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 
we're talking about now so often it's shrouded in uh, secrecy and an exception is made you know yeah. an exception is made for the monarchy that wouldn't be made for anybody else you know and this is quite outrageous in a democracy and one of the reasons why you know we're pretty confident step by step we'll get there we are simply on a road here we're on a journey to a republic because we have just been ticking off milestones as we go along um and we're hoping now and we're looking forward and the reason why we campaign is for those next steps to be taken and at some point it will become irresistible that you know the only way to run a country in a grown-up way is to have complete and utter transparency yeah. and to have a monarch sorry is to have a head of state that um is elected and can act because they have the permission of the people to act not because of accident to birth 100% and beautifully put i mean i'm amazed that there's not more support for this really but i'm guessing there probably is but as i mentioned earlier it gets drowned out by the noise of the propaganda machine you know the complete dominance that the royal family's press department has over all aspects of this conversation I mean, do you have any indication of the public's support for a republic and moving away from a monarchy into having an elected head of state? Do, do we have any indication of what the public support is for that? Yeah, we do. I mean, this is you're absolutely right. I mean, you think about it. We are the, the, the propaganda is a good word because you know, it is because you think about it. The press is uh, overwhelmingly, um, you know, um, supporting the monarchy and will publish you know stories about a minor royal opening at mars bar factory you know, and it'll get pictures and so on and then you know if 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 if, if you know if, if, if there's a transgression which it often is uh, in particular by charles um then that might be mentioned and it's quickly uh, put away so you've got this kind of media thing even the bbc which i've got a lot of time for another great institution as far as i'm concerned i don't always agree with it um but, you know, even the BBC has got a blind spot uh, on the monarchy, very deferential towards the monarchy. Yeah. Uh, journalists generally just do not ask questions, you know. So, you know, when Charles is, Charles is saying, well, you know, I think, you know, when you want to cut down air travel, we need to cut down air travel to save the environment. Well, hopefully we would get a journalist one day to say, well, um, you know, you're going to take a lead on this. Yeah. You know, are you yeah. going to take a lead on this or are you just going to be hypocritical? Because that's what it is. You know? Yeah. You would be hypocritical about it. So we've got all that. Then we're surrounded by stuff, aren't we? Like the Royal Mail and all the, you know, the Royal Colleges and all the Royal this and the Royal that. So we've got all that going on. Uh, and then in schools, I mean, yeah, I was at the protest uh, the other day when, uh, Charles visited, uh, Cardiff as it happens. And, you know, all the school kids are there. Of course, they're coming along. It's a great day out for them, and they're waving the flags, and it's, it's, it's lovely in that sense. But, you know, it's from that day, isn't it? You know, and in schools, you know, there's a royal wedding, so they, a lot of schools will, will parrot that and do their own little royal wedding. And, and this is essentially a form of, you know, it's kind of just like an indoctrination, really. Yeah, 100%, you know, yeah. And we don't, we don't think in the Labour Republic, you know, that um, what's needed is, you know, just pure Republican information, and that's it. We're just happy to have a balance, you know, and let people make up their minds. And, and I said earlier on in this discussion, you know, if people get to think about it because there's a debate, when that happens, 
people start to change their mind. And that's what the monarchy is really afraid of. In terms of the numbers, so the last, I think the last polling from, from YouGov showed that 27% of people, it might have been 24, I can't remember, but anyway, identified as Republican. So that's at least a quarter of the population. So that's a lot of people yeah. who identify as Republican. Now, you wouldn't, if you're watching BBC or Sky coverage, of any royal event, you would not believe that that was the case. If you look at the number of royal commentators, royal biographers that are interviewed across our media, you would, you know, versus the odd appearance by a Republican, that is nowhere near the sort of the, the 27%. And that has grown rapidly over the last 10 years or so. The really encouraging thing is that. 27% of the population, yes, but actually, if you look at under 25s, it's 40%. So 40% of under 25s identify as Republicans. Now, I think that's great. I think it's because they, you know, younger people, uh, you know, are far less deferential. I think that's good. I think respectful is good, yeah. but you don't have to have deference. You know, you do not have to literally bow down to somebody who is only there because of accident of birth. They are no better than you. And that's really what, what brought me into the Republican movement, I guess. Um, the other thing that was really, uh, really interesting was um, is, is that on the same survey, 60% of people said that they wanted to keep the monarchy. But in actual fact, well, that sounds good, doesn't it? But five years ago, when the same question was asked, it was 75%. So... Over a period of just five years, the number of people who want to retain a monarchy has shrunken rapidly, you know. Um, we also had some polling during the Jubilee. And, you know, I think if you can remember back to the Jubilee earlier this year, it was basically saturation on TV, saturation in the papers. But polling, again, I think it was YouGov, but polling certainly said that 54% of people were. Um, and interested, right? You know, not interested. And only fourteen percent of people said that they would actually be doing something. Um, and uh, what that means is, you know, fourteen percent of people at the jubilee doing something, but twenty-seven percent of people wanting to abolish the monarchy. So actually, twice as many people wanted to abolish the monarchy as planned to do something to celebrate the monarchy. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So all of these things are very, very, uh, you know, encouraging. And, you know, it's with like so much, it's like with with younger generation, you know, that, um, that the hope lies, you know, because they are, they have not had the indoctrination that older generations have. There's actually a very, very close sort of correlation between, um, sort of support for the monarchy and support for Brexit, for example. Yes. Where the, the older you are, the more likely you are to support Brexit. Uh, well, the older you are, the more likely you are to support the monarchy. So, you know, the reason I'm so confident, we have to work for it. It's a really, really hard campaign. Don't get me wrong. We've got the forces of the state and the establishment against us. But the reason I'm so confident is because so much progress has been made. And the trend is in our direction. Okay. The trend is towards a situation whereby we don't have to call it a republic, a situation whereby all the power, all of it is in the hands of the people, not in the hands of people 
who were either born into power or, and privilege, you know, or, or, or came about it you know, from force of arms hundreds of years ago or whatever it might yeah. be. So that's why I'm so optimistic, James. Well, that is very encouraging. I wasn't aware of those numbers. And it, it seems to me as if there is a grey area in the middle there that is disinterested either way. So hopefully, you know, conversations such as this and others, you know, can maybe lean some of those people into this side of the conversation yeah. you know, and perhaps could then be, you know, an enhanced force for change. I, I think so, James. I think the other the other important part of the context here is that, you know, the, the, the monarch isn't just the monarch of, of, of Britain. Yeah, the monarch has uh, a number of realms. When, when I talk about monarchy, sometimes I, I, I just have flashes of lords in the Lord of the Rings. You know, it's so it's so it is like a fantasy thing. <laughs> yes, you know, 100%. sometimes. Right? But these realms, overseas realms, and and of course, since the queen was uh, in 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 it came to the throne, the number of over overseas realms has has just about halved. In fact, I think uh, I think I'm right in saying that when um, Barbados went uh, earlier this year, I think it was, that tipped it over the edge to, you know, half the realms have been lost. And it's quite clear Jamaica's going to go. Um, you know, well, you know Jamaica's going to go, and why Why wouldn't it? Uh, Australia is going to go. The new Labour government, uh, or rather a new Labour government in Australia, uh, one of their first acts was to appoint a minister for the Republic, for a republic. Um, and probably then New Zealand will follow. Um, so this, you know, the, 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 the monarchy puts a lot of store in, in the Commonwealth and, 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 and you know, the, the royal tours and so on. But that is going to be rapidly depleted uh, over the coming years, I confidently predict. And I think also that diminishes the role of the monarchy. Um, I think the third thing is that at the end of the day, we do have a 24-hour media and, you know, a lot of the roles are essentially just celebrities. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what that's what they are. They're, they're celebrities. You know, they do, you know, Prince William pretends to be, you know, pretends to be a DJ or whatever it might be. <laughs> you know, it's just like... Soap opera. It's, it, it's, it's a soap, it's a, it is a bit of a soap opera. And, and that, you know, at the end of the day... Uh, you know, I think that probably wears a bit thin as well. So all these things are coming together, the, you know, the, the democratic awareness, the change across the common wealth, well, the, 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 the sort of the view we have of the monkey on a day to day basis being clearly as a family flawed. You know, the myst, the mystique is gone. Okay. There was a time, a certain generation that thought, you know, this is an absolute family to look up to. Right. Um, but that's fallen away because what they've proven is that, you know, at best they're no they're no better than anybody else. Yeah. But in some cases, Prince Andrew being a really good one, yeah. um, but a damn sight worse, you know. Um, so the mystique has fallen away. So all of these things come together, James, to propel this sense of actually let's grow up on this and let's get let's get a let's get a proper democracy going. Damn right and well put. I mean, you know, for me, I've always just instinctively kind of felt that it's mental that we have people are right at the top of our political and, you know, social hierarchy who are, who are essentially just characters pulled out of a fairy tale, you know, like princesses in castles <laughs> and queens in golden chariots and really expensive yeah, yeah. headwear, you know, yeah. and, and us peasants have to grovel and toil in order to chip in for them to all continue this, this royal lifestyle for no other reason than because they tell us that they're royal and we all go along with it. I mean, what century is this, you know? 
I mean, if you're able to sort of squeegee away for a minute all of the lifelong indoctrination and programming you've had and just look at this with a fresh, clear set of eyes, surely anyone would think it was mental. Well, I think the one thing everybody agrees, whether, whether it's a monarchy, whether, whether you're a monarchist or a republican or got no view, if we were to start again and you were to say, okay, I tell you what, let's think about how we're going to govern the country. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick a family and that family, regardless of its background and what it's done in the past, uh, and it's regardless of its quality and its ability and its intelligence and its compassion and all these things, that, that family is going to rule forever, right? Absolutely nobody would sign up to that, hmm. okay? Nobody, because it's, it's clearly a crazy, crazy way to govern a country. You know, it's, it's crazy. And the little bit of kind of, um, sort of, uh, I guess I'm going to say fun, but it's certainly not fun, but entertainment that people get from watching the Royals and maybe dressing up in, in Union Jack outfits and stuff is, um, you know, is, is completely eclipsed by the fact that all of this power is concentrated in, right. an, uh, in unelected hands. Yeah. And right now, in the hands of somebody who has demonstrated them to be themselves to be incredibly political. Right. And it's really dangerous for any democracy, in my view. Brilliantly put. Well, I wanted to do with you some popular mythbusters, but I mean, you've smashed some of them the bits already. Um, one of the main responses you hear time and time again, whenever you criticize any part of, uh, you know, the existence of a royal family is that, oh, they're so good for tourism. Now, I don't really think that's true because tourists don't get to see the royal family. They get to see, you know, the palaces and the castles and, all, and the history and all that sort of stuff and the artwork and all that sort of stuff that you see when you go and visit anywhere. But you don't actually see the actual royal family. The queen isn't giving guided tours around Buckingham Palace. So the existence of a living, breathing royal family, I don't think that plays a role in tourism. The history of having a royal family more than likely does. I mean, if I go to somewhere like, you know, Budapest or, you know, anywhere, pick a point on the globe man you know india france you know anywhere i'm going there for yeah the architecture the history even you know as an atheist you know i love going to see the churches of rome and places like that you don't have to buy into a living breathing system in order to go in and revel in the the majesty of the history of the thing no one is saying that in, in removing a royal family that we tear down the palaces and burn the pieces of art and melt the gold down and make, you know, hammers and sickles out of them. You, know, you keep all that stuff. But I don't personally feel that tourism is influenced at all by having an existing royal family. If that was the case, then France wouldn't be, uh, I think, is that the most visited country in the world. Like France has the most tourists in the world. They don't have a royal family. They killed them all. You know, America doesn't have a royal family. They do pretty good for tourism and so do many other places around the world so i've never really bought that one and i know that you've covered this already but let's just make double certain just so that we can finally put this undying myth to bed do the royal family create tourism no james uh they 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 they, they don't just in fact it's neutral now that's that's the view of uh, visit britain um you know which which uh basically is the government agency that that basically looks after tourism, you know, so it's neutral. Uh, you know, they have they have changed some of the accounting practices to try and um to try and uh, so that it appears that more revenue is generated as a result of the royal family. And I think I mentioned earlier, you know, visits to right. Windsor Legoland, for example. Um so the answer is 
Yeah, no, they no, they don't. And um, you know, it would if people come to Britain to see the royal family, they're going to be really disappointed. Yeah, they're, they're not going <laughs> to see they? the royal yeah. family. You know, they're not uh, because they're either in the house or they're they're on holiday or or you know what you know doing something um, official. They're not going to see them. So uh, yeah. and nobody is talking about tearing down the palaces, like I just said, you know, and destroying all of the historic legacy of the of the royal families that we've had over the years. We keep all that stuff just the same as they do in every other country around the world. That's part of our history. Well, absolutely, it's a really good point. Like, as I say, we can keep the gold coaches. We can still have the, you know, the the, the state opening of parliament with a president. We, we can still have Buckingham Palace. We probably won't, with a president, need as many uh, palaces. And then we could go and, uh, hey, here's a good one. We could we could support Chris Packham's uh, uh, campaign for rewilding the royal estates um, after you know the, the monarchy spent a lot of time cutting down a lot of the. The trees, so they yeah. could make it easy to shoot things. Um, you know, we 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 could do all that, and then you'd have Buckingham Palace as maybe the state home of it, of the um, of the president, and that would be the really the end of it, and the rest of it could be open, you know, twenty four seven for tourists, yes. and that actually might bring in a lot more revenue. You're yeah. right. Um, another, I mean, another another a myth. I mean, I just I, I don't know if you're going to reel them off to me, um, but one just occurred to me is the. Um, is, is that the monarch is a is a unifying um, figure? Right. Well, do you know what? That was myth buster number two that they give us a proud oh, unified I I national identity. No. So we, you're you're, all, you're a step ahead of me. <laughs> okay. Well, you didn't give me these in advance, but but it, they, these regularly come up, and, and and my my answer to that is, well, you know, how's that going? <laughs> you know, we've got we we've got a more divided society than ever. Yeah. You know, we have got. Um, divisions in terms of uh, the poorer and uh, between poor and rich and the rich getting richer and poor literally getting poorer. And that is a growing, uh, yeah, that's a growing divide. We've got uh, a case, you know, more or less 50% of the population looking for independence in, in, in Scotland. We've got growing calls for independence, you know, in, in Wales. We've got huge disparities between the various regions around the country we had i mean brexit whatever side you were you, you were on brexit was a huge divide you know and that still is with us because we see it in all sorts of reasons on immigration and, and so on now you know one of the things that occurred to me with the head of state who's got a, you know who's, who's well, on website says you know we're here to unite it struck me that after the after the Brexit result, you know, there was a huge spike, a huge spike in attacks on uh, basically on people from other countries, you know, from European countries and indeed on Muslims and so on. There was a huge spike. Now, you know, you would think, wouldn't you, that the head of state as a unifying figure, because it's not a political issue, um, you know, hey, Brexit is a political issue, but the, the, the way in which people reacted to Brexit, i.e. physically assaulting others, you know, you would think, wouldn't you? You'd have a president coming on the TV, uh, sorry, a head of state coming on the TV and saying, "Look, you know, the result is in. We must now all accept that and respect it, and and, and to dissuade people from acting in in that sort of way." But of course, the head of state says nothing. Yeah. Now, if you had a president with a mandate, the president would say something. Would have a duty to say something, um, and you know presidents um 
you know, across the world, if you look at them, you know, they are genuinely well respected um, in terms of the, 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 not the executive, but in Germany, for example, in Ireland, you know, the Irish President Martin, um, who is a, you know, a working class guy, preceded by two women, one from the north of Ireland, one from the south, absolutely phenomenal, two women and then a working class guy in that six, in that order as presidents, absolutely phenomenal. All of them with higher approval ratings than our our monarch. Wow. It's amazing. So, you know, there's lots of good things, lots of good reasons for uh, a, a president, including they would be much better placed to be a unifying figure. Amen to that. Brilliantly put once again. Well, you've already kind of smashed bits all of my other popular myths that I was going to throw at you in this segment. <laughs> so we'll move on from that. And I am aware of the fact that I'm keeping you dangerously close to the promised amount of time that I was going to steal from you today. So I think there's quite a lot of information there. We've covered a hell of a lot of ground today. So to, to summarize then, you've laid a really strong case for why people should think about abolishing the monarchy at this point. So let's finish up by reminding people listening to this what your preferred model would be for the head of state. And if there is anywhere in the world that we can look at as an example of where that model is being used effectively. Okay, so we, we, we're advocating that there are steps we should take now, like uh, changing the oath and the Freedom of Information Act. Once we get to the stage where we have a head of state, we would um, it would be an elected head of state. It would be a written constitution. The Irish model is a really good one because their parliamentary system is very similar. And it would simply mean replacing what is the currently unelected head of state with a head of state who was elected. So they wouldn't have to be called a president. They could just be called the head of state. And their job would be to do the ceremonial stuff. And their job would be to protect our written constitution so that the, the, the politicians act in accordance with the constitution, with our laws. Boom. In a nutshell, nailed it. I personally don't see any problem with that, and I can't imagine why anybody else would either. You've laid it out very articulately, diplomatically, and brilliantly. So what can people do to get behind this and support the cause? Well, there's, there's, there's lots of things you can do. So firstly, um, you can uh, check out uh, republic.org.uk, join Republic. Uh, if you're a member of the Labour Party, you can still look at Republic, obviously, but you can also look at Labour for a Republic, all one word, .org.uk. Join us uh, and, and, get, and get involved. Um, there will be... There's campaigns going on right now. There will be a huge campaign uh, when it comes to the coronation, when that is uh, announced. Uh, the coronation in, will be in London, of course. There will be a huge demonstration in London against this gross, well, waste of money, first and foremost, but, you know, but also this, this you know, really undemocratic process. Uh, you can write to your MP. I mean, write to your MP and, and, just, uh, and just tell them, you know, you'd like to live in a democracy. And, and what are they going to do about it? And have they? And if you've got, if you're fortunate to have a Labour MP, um, say you are, you know, have you checked up Labour for a Republic? And uh, and if not, why not? You know, and and they will come back to you, you know, and they may they may say, well, you know, I agree with you on this, I don't agree with you on that, but keep going, get your friends to do it, you know, and it does make a difference because politicians do very much look at their post bag, you know, or their email yeah. inbox, you know, and, and that does, uh, that is important. Most MPs are very, very sort of reactive to that yeah. because that's the way our political process works. You know, they, they are there to represent our views, not their own. So 
if enough of us write to our MPs, you know, if you're in if you're in college, get every single person in your in your class or your college to write. You know, if they're great, you know, in your workplace, you know, get your work colleagues to uh, to write. Uh, the more the better, and and that or email, and that's that's really I think the two things you do. Check out the two organisations, Republic.org. Uh, dot uh uk and laborforrepublic.org.uk follow labor for republic that's labor number four republic on twitter there's lots of good stuff on that you can engage that way as well brilliant perfect nick thanks so much for doing this today mate i really do appreciate it it's been a really interesting and hopefully important chat and before i let you go i would just like to raise a glass and give a toast not to the queen or to the king but to the republic I have just raised my glass. You might have heard it clink in there. I've just raised it. And uh, absolutely, it's, it's going to be inevitable. With everybody's help, we'll get there sooner rather than later. Thanks, James, for having me on. Anytime. Thanks so much for being with us, Nick. I'll see you again soon. Best wishes, man. All best, mate. Ta-da. There you go, Nick Wall, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear it for him. Interesting stuff, man. I really enjoyed that one. I would be really interested to know if there are any people who consider themselves to be royalists who've listened to the whole thing. Firstly, if you have done, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, but I'd be really interested to know what you think. You know, if you're listening to this on YouTube, you know, please do leave a comment and let's have a, let's have a conversation. You know, I'd love to know what your response is to some of the points that Nick has raised there. I think Nick has laid out a very strong case there for us to broaden the narrative now around the royal family and start normalizing the, the, the notion of an elected head of state in this country. It goes without saying that I'm 100% in favor of that. And if you are too, and you'd like to get more involved, as Nick said, I'm going to plug the link one more time. The website is republic.org.uk. You can also check Republic out on Twitter at Republic Staff. And if you're a member of the Labour Party, you can join laborforarepublic.org.uk or follow them on Twitter at Labour for, the number four, Labour for Republic. And if you are in favour of this, I think it's time for us to come out of the shadows now and to stop being so scared of being kicked the crap out of by people online and, and start normalising this conversation. You know, you're armed now with the figures and the comebacks and the myth-busting. So hopefully now, you know, we can all be better ambassadors for this issue when we're actually engaging with our friends and family who are royalists. And we can hopefully start to build some bridges and, and meet some middle ground. So I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you found it interesting and good food for thought. Uh, as always, please do subscribe to the podcast or give me a follow on whatever platform you listen to it on. Please do give me some stars and a review if you got time. I really do appreciate it. It would help me to nudge the podcast up through the algorithms. And please do get involved in the comments section and leave your thoughts there as well so that we can broaden the conversation on these issues. I'll be back next week with another episode and another awesome guest, so please stay tuned. In the meantime, as always, take care of yourself, take care of others, and I will see you next week. Have a good one.